You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and my co-host is Dr. Mary Osborne, the Director of the Stewart House Museum. Thank you for joining us as we travel through the Key Magazine from 1882 to today. Good morning, Oz. How are you on this recording day? Good morning. I'm doing well. Excellent. So we are doing, for this episode of Key Matters, 1899 and 1900. That's right. And you took 1900, so I get to start with 1899. And I'll mention this later, but it is interesting to me, thinking back to the tradition of leadership script that Edith Mayo wrote for us. She talks about how by the 1890s and early 1900s, women students are really moving into more of the social aspect of college. And whew, it is apparent in these issues of the magazine. It's it's a little bit harder to find some news in these, but I think I, think I found some things. So for current events at the time, in January, Queens and Staten Island merged with New York City. In February 1899, the Philippine-American War begins and hostilities broke out in Manila. Also in February 1899, the Spanish-American War is over with the Treaty of Paris, so they were busy. And in that deal, the U.S. receives the Philippines, Samoa, Guam, and Puerto Rico. So I guess we'll save the discussion about the terrible notion of colonialism for another day. Also in February, Great Blizzard of 1899 happens, and freezing temperatures and snow extended well into North America, including southern Florida. So it's the latest in um, the series of disasters to Florida's citrus industry. And then this was interesting. Also in February 1899, voting machines are approved by U.S. Congress for use in federal elections. And I bet they were as hotly contested then as they are now. Oh, this one's my favorite. In June 1899, temperance movement crusader Carrie Nation, I wish she was a Kappa, but she wasn't, enters a saloon in Kiowa, Kansas, and proceeds to destroy all the alcoholic beverages with rocks. In Cincinnati, there is a bar called uh, like the Carrie Nation Tavern, and their door handles are hatchets, and then they burn into the top of their hamburgers, a little hatchet brand. In June 1899, in case anyone thinks fake news is a modern phenomena, three Denver, Colorado newspapers published a story that the Chinese government is going to demolish the Great Wall of China, not April 1st, in June, and that's later proved to be a fabrication. Also in June, I don't know if you saw the movie or the musical Newsies. Have you seen that one? I have seen clips of it, but it is one of my um, college friends favorite musical so she yeah. was always talking about how great the newsies was I loved that musical um, my sister and I saw it on Broadway so I was interested to read that its inspiration the newsboys strike took place from July to August in 1899 when the newsies of New York City went on strike in September, here's one more tragic result of the modernization the world is undergoing when, in September 1899, Henry H. Bliss became the first person to be killed by a motor vehicle in the United States. He was getting out of a streetcar in New York City and then an electric-powered taxi cab, which 1899, I'm surprised there's an electric-powered taxi cab, struck and crushed him and he died from his injuries the following morning. 
And then remember the mention of America being given the Philippines? Uh, That's why by December 1899, um, we see the Philippine-American War really, really gaining speed. And that lasts until 1902, so three years. Notable births in 1899 include the gangster and crime boss Al Capone. Uh, Virginia Alexander was the female African-American physician. Mary Lovelace, who was the famous immunologist, Duke Ellington, the jazz musician and composer, Fred Astaire, the dancer and singer, Ernest Hemingway, the fiction writer and journalist, Humphrey Bogart, the film actor, and then Caroline Ware, um, she was the historian and New Deal activist. They were all born in 1899. And then notable deaths, this harkens back to your bluegrass days, Meriwether Lewis Clark Jr., talk about a name. He's the founder of the Kentucky Derby. He died in 1899. Lucy Pickens, the socialite who was known during and after her lifetime as the Queen of the Confederacy, died in 1899. And then Gussie Davis, the African-American songwriter, he died in 1899. So the January 1899 issue opens with an article titled Chiefly Historical. I keep uh, accidentally getting these, these articles that have to do with the fraternity's archives, and I love it. And they're talking about preparing records for the new catalog. Quote, early documents in the fraternity's archives are few in number and meager in matter. So Even in 1899, they were having trouble piecing together the fraternity's early history. It's an early effort at crowdsourcing, so I love that because they ask for volunteers who might be interested in tracing the history of two different chapters, Gamma and Zeta. Gamma was at Smithson College in Logansport, Indiana, and Zeta chapter was in um, or at Rockford Seminary in Rockford, Illinois. And they talk about how they have been piecing together the story of Beta chapter, which was mistakenly listed as being at Knox College, and then they figured out it wasn't, and it really was in Knoxville. So they're giving examples of how they can do this research, um, but they need help to do it because the, the Grand Council officers just don't have time. One point of interest is their mention of founder Minnie Stewart's interest in helping to piece together the early history until she fell ill. So They decided to dedicate this issue, the one that I'm reviewing, as a sort of memorial issue to Minnie and that a larger part of it would be written by Alice Pillsbury, an early member of Alpha and Grand Secretary while Minnie was Grand President. Then Alice fell ill, so that was delayed and her account couldn't be included. But that, I think, explains why the obit that you mentioned that was hastily included in the 1898 issue was in there, errors and all. I can imagine these poor editors who have this grand plan for amazing material, and then it doesn't doesn't pan out. But there is a silver lining in the slew of letters that they sent out. They did receive a reply from founder Mary Louise Bennett Boyd. Uh, We know her as Lou Boyd, and the letter is from Lou or this letter from Lou, is where we get a lot of the descriptions of our founders. She writes that Minnie was popular and of a sunny and warm-hearted disposition, and Minnie was willing to do anything to serve a friend. Lou notes, you'll be interested in this, that Minnie's first husband, Mr. Nelson, died, which we now know is not the case. Oh, he did eventually die. (laughs) He did eventually die, but long after. And what was it? You learned that he was her step-cousin? Yes. Okay. Um, And very likely abandoned her since there isn't a divorce on file either, right? Well, I may have found it. Oh, a divorce? I may have. Yeah. um, 
I have to send in the, the request. Okay. Um, and I think it has to go to Chicago so, or Springfield. So who knows how long that might take. Yeah. <laughs> I say this frequently, but I wish I could write back to these ladies and say, just hold on. We, we figure it out, even though it's what, a hundred years and 120 years in the future, we do eventually figure it out. Um, Oh, and for our loyal listeners of the Historically Speaking podcast, Lou mentions in this letter that they wanted something new because there were only two options for the women at Monmouth, LM, which we finally figured out was Lambda Mu, and then IC, which later became Pi Beta Phi. And, and wait for it, this is my very favorite line in all of Kappa. This is where she wrote, our aim was to draw into the society the choicest spirits amongst the girls. And you know that line? That line is the inspiration for the tavern that I'm going to open in my future living history museum. The museum shall be called Founders Village. We'll have costume docents and we'll end the day with a refreshing tipple at our tavern choices spirits. Um, which founder do you want to portray? Hmm. Well, I think it's only right that I portray many because we share the same name and everything. But um, and you, used to sh- you used to share a residence. That's true. That's true. Um, but I guess I could maybe portray Sue Walker because then, you know, I can pull in the piano. Playing oh, yes. Too. But I'm sure many, many probably played or some of the other founders did because that was just a, a skill that was important to have. Yeah. Though Sue was in the scientific course and didn't graduate. So academically, you couldn't be more opposite. <laughs> well, acting's acting. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So as I mentioned, the next few articles really highlight, as uh, Edie Mayo wrote in Tradition of Leadership, that by the 1890s, the predominantly white female student no longer had to fight so hard just to be accepted in the halls of higher learning, which then freed up more time and interest in the social aspects of student life. They stress learning to work and live with one another, to live pleasantly with fellow humans, and to focus less on competition and unkind interactions. And a lot of these you can tell are timed around recruitment or rush at the time. There's lots of talk of the stereotypes that are affixed to the various sororities and women's fraternities. So that also demonstrates the addition of travel, how people are moving around and visiting other campuses more frequently. Alums are living in different cities and then writing in of their Kappa experiences. So there is definitely a concern for whether Kappa members are studious and savvy young women or frivolous society girls. That comes up a number of different times. There are lots of pieces of news of the alumna associations, which are still interacting closely with nearby chapters, but they're very active in and of themselves now. Some are even sending their future programs to be printed. Later, there was a note from the Indianapolis Alumni Association, and they had a subgroup, the Indianapolis Literary Society of Kappa Kappa Gamma. So they're hoping, I think, to attract new alumna members to join their alumna clubs and associations by sending in their future programs so that they can be printed in the magazine. So, hey, if you live near Indianapolis, here's what we're reviewing for the next six months or so. Please join us at one of our meetings. Got to capitalize on that golden age of Indiana literature. Which That's right. Oh, I, I should look back. I think a lot of it was classical literature. So there was a ton of like Shakespeare and those. I'm not sure how many would be specific to Indiana writers. In the uh, personals, Mary Kingsbury's marriage to Vladimir Simkovich is announced. And it says that she expects to continue her sociological work. 
And there are even more Kappas getting advanced degrees. They talk about a ton of different women who are getting their master's and PhDs, and we can hardly list all of the Kappas who are working abroad. In this issue alone, they mention women teaching in India, Turkey, England, Sweden, Germany, and so on. So they are definitely moving about in the world a whole lot more. Several write in with their opinions about the influence of family relations, and it's interesting, some are arguing whether or not family relations should stand against receiving a desirable member. So I think this is the phase where your family relations might have hindered your, your um, possibility of membership, rather than the phase that we see later, uh, the, the legacy policies where your family relations perhaps helped you to gain membership. And it was required to, to have these references and recommendations. At the end of the issue, it suggested that every chapter send a letter to all its alumni, giving them an account of the year's work thus far, with the argument that the lack of alumni interest is due to ignorance rather than indifference. So if they knew what was going on, they'll, they'll be more likely to participate. And I know that today I still love to get the annual newsletter from my own chapter. And then, um, you know, they always pose questions at the end of the issue for people to write in about in the next issue. So in this one, they pose the question of having a secret publication that would go only to chapters for discussion of administration and other matters, which cannot be discussed in the key. So I... I I just, can you imagine if they tried, I mean, they had a hard enough time publishing the key and here now they're considering maybe doing something else. At least now we have emails, so we can send some of those things about, but we still worry about privacy. So must have been even harder back then. Moving into April, the issue opens with an article from Harriet Harding from DePauw on making fraternity a habit and how we must not fall out of the habit of being Kappas, lest we fall out of the habit of the good values that we have pledged ourselves to. And I love that the April issue in these years typically includes a summary from the reports that were sent in January. So in January, 1899, the largest chapters were Syracuse and Indiana with 24 members each, and the smallest were at Penn and Swarthmore um, with eight and nine members respectively. The total number of new members in that past year, so from 1888 to 1899, was 151. We have chapters today that have new member classes of 151, and we now average, I think it's over 4,000 new members in each year. So I think it would boggle their minds to see how things have grown. And then respondents are discussing the previous question of whether or not there should be the secret publication that is only sent to chapters, and several argue in favor of it. But again, as a future reader, I want to go back and remind them that it's hard enough to get the key published. They clearly weren't paying attention to those early 1890s, late 1880s issues when Boston just threw their hands up and were like, nobody's going to support us. So why are we even doing this? <laughs> so I want to know how they're going to manage an affordable and successful publication in addition to the key. April issue was a bit slim on news, but as soon as I opened up July 1899, I laughed to see an article titled The Education of a High-Class Turkish Girl. And of course, it's by Grace Fleming from Psy Chapter at Cornell, and she was previously listed as one of the Kappas who was working in Constantinople. Beta Lambda Chapter at the University of Illinois was founded in April 1899, so it was too late for that April issue, um, but then members from Epsilon Chapter at Illinois Wesleyan write in with a nice tribute to the new chapter in this July issue, but it's kind of odd that there isn't much more written about Beta Lambda's installation. That was it. They didn't have a big splash like we see today. 
And I suppose kind of like waiting on both Minnie and then Alice Pillsbury's account of the early history, they were probably just waiting for a more detailed account and the author never sent it. The personals include a note about Florence Bascom, which I know we've talked about her before and I love her. She joined Kappa at Ada chapter at the University of Wisconsin. She was the famous geologist and only the second woman in the United States to earn a PhD in geology. A lot of geologists, though, consider her the first woman geologist. Um, I didn't take the time to go back and look to see who technically the first one is. (laughs) Clearly, Florence takes the title. And she is one of those early pioneers in higher education who, while studying at Johns Hopkins, was forced to sit behind a screen so as to not disturb the men in the class whose education was clearly the priority. I love Florence, and she's one of those women that I wish more people knew about. Her mother, Emma Curtis Bascom, was a women's rights activist, and her father was made president of the University of Wisconsin in 1874. So it's no big surprise that just a year later, in 1875, the university began accepting women. And anyone who has been to the University of Wisconsin in Madison may recognize Bascom Hill. It was named for her family and their legacy. So then rounding out the year and the decade with the October 1899 issue, we have reached the opposite end of the spectrum, it seems. The issue opens with a song and a plea for, quote, an antidote. So this is from Antoinette Lawrence from Psy Chapter at Cornell, and she laments all that is expected of women students, which is interesting. She writes, quote, in the reaction from the times when to be a woman was necessarily to be without a mind, We have come to the opposite extreme, where we are inclined to regard the faculty of acquiring knowledge as the only thing we have worth cultivating. And it is this notion which is bringing so many of our kind to nervous prostration and many kindred evils. So she's frustrated that it's harder and harder to get into college, yet we are still expecting students to enter at the age of 18. She argues later, you have to have this full breadth of knowledge, but yet we're not moving up the timeline. You don't have any more time to gain that knowledge. It basically sounds like she just wants a break. (laughs) And of course, since it's October, all the talk is about rushing and chapters opening up to greet the new semester. And then while stressing the bonds between chapter members, there are even more submissions on the relationships with non-fraternity girls. How often that we and they have to be reminded of our values and simple manners. So there must have been Lots going on on campuses to to prompt those submissions. Harriet Curtis from Beta Tau at Syracuse on page 197 in this last issue suggests that chapter members exchange flags or pennants. And I know in our collections, there are lots of early photos of dorm rooms where pennants are displayed of other schools. And I used to use the pennants to try to identify where the picture was taken, but (laughs) it doesn't always work that way. So it seemed that they were often from exchanges like um, the ones that this Harriet is talking about or souvenirs from visiting other chapters. So kind of like the mugs and t-shirts that I have collected from the chapters I've visited. And then towards the end of the issue on page 222, there's a discussion of a fraternity cut, some sort of image that can be used to represent the fraternity, which is interesting because they plea for a formal approved cut, but we have had one since the 1880s, but it very clearly was not widely used. They plainly point out that we have no flag, we have no coat of arms, we can have no panoplies in our chapter rooms unless we borrow them. We seem to have few of the symbols which we see our rivals possess. We are poor, but honest. 
And like I said, there were cuts from the 1880s. It's in the 1934 history book. I have a couple that I purchased on eBay, but clearly this writer was not up on those details. And as a future reader, I want to take their hands and enthusiastically share with them that by 1905, they will discuss a coat of arms and it'll be approved in 1912. So all good things come to those who wait, even if it's like 12 or 13 years. And then this issue closes with a question and answer column titled Answers to Correspondence. And then the author is listed as Ruth Ask Moore. <laughs> so Ruth, the first name, Ask the middle or maiden name, and then Moore as her last name. So I love it. Our very first early advice column. Currently, we have one called Ask Clara in the Key Magazine. So it must have changed through the years. So that's 1899, and uh, I can't I can't wait to hear about 1900. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by the director of the Stewart House Museum and member of Alpha Deuteron Chapter at Monmouth College, Dr. Mary Osborne, and me, Kylie Smith, from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College, and the archivist and museum director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.